Well, good morning, everybody. Well, as Julie said, we're uh, into the third of our series of five sermons on Sunday morning. We've uh, called The Jesus Lifestyle, and uh, they're about uh, the passage at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, which, as Julie mentioned, is generally referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And in these verses that uh, Louise read to us, Jesus talks about the relationship between his teaching and the Old Testament. And he uses the phrase, the law and the prophets, which uh, refers to the whole of the Old Testament. Now, obviously, the New Testament wasn't written at the time of Jesus' death and resurrection. So at this point, the scriptures consisted entirely of the Old Testament. And someone has described the Old Testament as the Bible that Jesus used. But I think it would be true to say, wouldn't it, that Christians often find the Old Testament a bit difficult. It does raise a number of tricky questions. Uh, It's often said that the Old Testament seems to describe a God who is rather different to the God of the New Testament. Many people question how we can reconcile a lot of the violence and the killing that went on in the Old Testament with Jesus' teaching. And... I'm sure many Christians feel that as our faith is based on the, old, in, on the New Testament, we don't need to bother too much with the Old Testament and we can really manage without it. Well, having problems with the Old Testament is nothing new. Um, in the second century, there was a, a bishop called Marcion, who must have been important because he's got an ism named after him, Marcionism, and he entirely rejected the Old Testament. He argued that the God of the Old Testament was incompatible with the teachings of Jesus. And I I think many of us may find ourselves agreeing with the small boy who referred to the Old Testament as the time before God became a Christian. (laughs) Well, I I can't promise to answer all these difficult questions in one short talk, but uh, if we are to take Jesus seriously, we need to face the fact that he certainly didn't dismiss the Old Testament or see it as irrelevant. The first verse that Louise read to us said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, in making that statement, Jesus was addressing a controversy which had had arisen around him. The religious leaders of the time, who wielded considerable social and political power, were totally devoted to the Old Testament scriptures. They read them, they memorized them, they taught them to their children. They took great delight in debating the minutiae of the meaning of the words and in pursuit of their uh, devotion to it, they added all kinds of rules and regulations to make sure that they didn't break any of the commandments. And the problem, though, was that in doing that, they had become very legalistic. They were so preoccupied with all the rules and regulations that they'd lost sight of what was really important. And Jesus referred to that when he uh, challenged them about their zeal at tithing. Uh, The Old Testament talks about giving a a tenth of your income to God. And they were very zealous about that, even down to herbs that they grew. They would give 10% to God. And Jesus said, "You, you tithe herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. And Jesus is saying you've got so caught up with the detail that you have lost sight of the big picture. And because Jesus challenged the religious establishment, he stirred up some powerful opposition. And one of the attacks that they brought against him was this allegation, 
which would have been appalling to the Jewish people of that time or, or Jewish people of any time, that he was rejecting the Old Testament, that he didn't obey and he didn't respect the law. The law and the prophets was the foundation of the Jewish sense of identity. It was their national history. It was the basis of their status as God's chosen people. It was a record of God's dealings with them and of him speaking to them. It was the basis of their laws. It was at the very heart of their culture. So for a Jew to reject the Old Testament, well, it would be hard to imagine anything much worse than that. So Jesus meets that allegation head on. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then he goes on and says, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. If you were brought up with the King James Version of the Bible, or if you're at all familiar with that, you may uh, recognize that passage from, from that version where it says, not even a jot or a tittle will pass away. And a jot referred to the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And a tittle was, was just a mark that went with some of the letters. It's a bit like we might talk about dotting the I's and crossing the T's, which means going through something in great detail, doesn't it? And Jesus is using the same sort of idea here. He's saying that when it comes to the Old Testament, not even the dot of an I is going to disappear. All of it stands and will remain there until it has all been fulfilled. And that tells us something about the way that Jesus viewed the Old Testament. And as we read the rest of the Gospel accounts, there are a number of things that I think stand out that uh, give us some more clues on what Jesus thought of the Old Testament. It's a shame Si isn't here this morning because I've, I've come up with three things all beginning with the letter A, which is Si's preferred way of operating. I don't usually do that, but it just seems to come out that way. So three, three things that, that Jesus regarded the Old Testament as. Firstly, he regarded the Old Testament as accurate. Where it referred to historical events, he, re, he regarded it as being true. In uh, chapter 12 of Matthew's Gospel, people were demanding that Jesus did a miracle for them. And in response, he said, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So Jesus is referring to an Old Testament story of, of Jonah. And you can hardly refer to a fictional story as a miraculous sign. Jesus clearly believed the story of Jonah to be true. And throughout his teaching, Jesus refers to Elijah, Elisha, Moses, Abraham, David, Solomon, continually referring back to the Old Testament in a way which indicates that he believed that it was factually accurate. And you may remember after the resurrection where Jesus met some of the disciples on the road to Emmaus and they didn't recognize him. But it says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus clearly believed the Old Testament and he claimed that it spoke about him and he saw himself as the fulfillment of it. Secondly, he regarded the Old Testament not just as factually accurate but also as authentic. 
he treated it as the authentic word of God. Although it was written by people, he regarded it as having come from God himself. In one of his many disputes with the religious leaders, he said to them, Have you not read what God said to you? And he's referring back to a passage in the Old Testament. As far as Jesus is concerned, if the Old Testament said it, then God said it. On another occasion, when he was arguing with the teachers of the law, he challenged them over the way that they had interpreted the law to avoid the demands that it made on them. And in referring to the Old Testament, Jesus uses the phrases, the command of God. Why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? And then he says, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Jesus regards the Old Testament as the command, as the word of God. It is the authentic word of God. And thirdly, because he believed that the Old Testament was accurate and authentic, he treated it as completely authoritative. In his discussions with the people of his his time, one of his favorite phrases was, it is written. He would refer to the Old Testament and say, it is written. Have you not read? was another phrase that he used. You may remember the account of Jesus being tempted by Satan in the wilderness, and uh, Satan tempts him with three different temptations. And Jesus' response is the same in each case. He says, it is written. Man does not live by bread alone, when Satan was trying to tempt him to turn stones into bread. And then Satan himself quotes scripture. And Jesus responds by saying, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And in the response to the third temptation, he says, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And for Jesus, that phrase, it is written, ended the argument. Because the Old Testament was the inspired and authoritative word of God, there could be no argument with it. If the Old Testament said it, then God had said it. And that was the end of it. In John's Gospel, when Jesus was being accused of blasphemy, he again responded by quoting the Old Testament. And he just dropped in a little phrase in passing. And he said, And the scripture cannot be broken. So as far as Jesus is concerned, the Old Testament is the accurate, authentic, authoritative word of God. And as such, it is unbreakable there can be no questioning of its importance because it has the stamp of God right through it. But having established that, Jesus then goes on, and in the last verse, uh, could we go to the end of the passage, please, uh, Sue? Uh, The last verse, Jesus says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this would have come as a terrible shock to the people who heard it. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were really the top people. They were admired and respected. The the ordinary people looked up to them for instruction in the things of God. They, They were the experts. They were highly educated. They were really in another league from ordinary people. And to be told that if you want to get to the kingdom of heaven, you need to do better than these people 
which would have seemed, I think, absolutely impossible. But what Jesus was saying is that the Christian life is never just about obeying the rules. I think that may come out more clearly next week, as uh, I think Karen's speaking next week, on the, the next verses in this passage. We cannot live by rules. And one of the reasons for that is that rules are just not up to the job. If you imagine a, a mum who has two young children, a son and a daughter, and uh, as is the way of things, the little lad is tormenting his sister. And uh, the mum says to him, you must stop hitting your sister. Then a few moments later, the uh, little girl appears in tears again, and mum calls the culprit in. Did you hit your sister? No, mum. So what happened? Well, he threw a stone at me, mum. Is that right? Yes, mum, I did. But you didn't say anything about throwing stones. You said I shouldn't hit her, and I didn't. And the reality is, isn't it, that if we attempt to make up a set of rules to ensure good behaviour, it's really impossible. Don't hit your sister. Okay, don't throw stones or anything else. Don't drop anything on her from an upstairs window. Don't shoot her with your toy gun or a catapult. Don't pull her hair. Don't bribe one of your friends with your pocket money to attack her on your behalf. Where do you stop? It doesn't matter how comprehensive the rules are. They are never adequate. And any self-respecting little boy can always find a way around them. There's almost always a loophole somewhere, isn't there? I don't know whether any fellow Christian has ever said to you, uh, been talking to you and explained that they've, they've rather misled somebody and said, well, I didn't actually lie. And the reality is that you can very easily deliberately mislead somebody without actually making a statement that is untrue. And that was very much the approach that the Pharisees had gone into. They kept the letter of the law, but it wasn't enough. Because God is not looking for people who will simply obey a set of rules. No matter how comprehensive the rules are, he's looking for people who will allow him to change their hearts so that we can serve him wholeheartedly from the heart. So we can't live by rules because rules aren't up to it. But secondly, we, the problem with living rigidly by rules is that often the irony is that we end up contradicting the purpose that the law was made for in the first place. If we adhere strictly to the letter of the law, we miss the spirit of the law. Sometimes when there's an industrial dispute, we hear that the workers are staging a work to rule. And what that means is that they will adhere strictly to the letter of the rules without any attempt at flexibility or cooperation. And the result is that things become unworkable. And the charge that Jesus made against the religious leaders of his time was that by being rigid and legalistic, they had actually frustrated God's purpose rather than fulfilled it. As another example of that, I think some time ago there was a bit of controversy around here because uh, a lot of ambulances were getting caught by speed cameras and the speeding fines were rather mounting up. And there was the question, well, should, should the ambulances be allowed to break the speed limit? And some people would argue that, well, the law's the law. The law applies to everyone. 
there should be no exceptions. Nobody is above the law, and so the law should apply to ambulances just as much as anybody else. But the purpose of a speed limit is to save life. That's why we have speed limits, to prevent accidents. If we adopt a legalistic approach, we end up potentially putting people's lives at risk because we delay them getting to hospital after an accident. So by rigidly enforcing the law, you actually uh, end up contravening the purpose for which it was enforced, uh, introduced. The law which was intended to save life when it's rigidly enforced, actually has the opposite effect. So you can never live the Christian life just by obeying the rules. In fact, if you live by the rules, you will probably end up doing the opposite to what God intended. Doing what is right does not make you a Christian. But becoming a Christian will change your life so that through the Holy Spirit working in you, you will begin to do what is right. So in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus reaffirms the accuracy, the authenticity, and the authority of the Old Testament. He says that none of it is irrelevant, but he explains that God is not looking for people who can just take a set of rules and try to live by them. He's looking for people who will give themselves wholeheartedly to loving him and to loving others because he said that love is the fulfillment of the law. Amen.